So I have an objective today. My objective is to get through one beatitude, the fourth beatitude. But along with my objective are about a thousand other things I want to talk about. So um, for those of you that were here last Sunday, we had a guest speaker, Josh McDonald. Josh is an evangelist, a budding evangelist maybe from IHOP in Kansas City, International House of Prayer, and he brought us a good message. He was very enthusiastic, but sometimes when youth and enthusiasm come together, there can be a little bit of a mess to pick up, right? And I know that there were some concerns about some of the things that Josh said last week, so I just want to address it a little bit, and then we'll move on. He talked um, pretty harshly, you know, just the tone of his words about Calvinism, very strongly, you know, about Calvinist perspectives. And he talked about other churches, you know, this, this whole group of other churches that's not us, that, that doesn't have it as perfect as we do or as perfect as I have. It's not so anointed as to be so perfectly in God's will. He talked about eschatology, the, 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 how you believe about end times. And, and there's this, this thing that's to happen called a rapture. And there's this thing that's to happen called tribulation. And there's these scriptures that speak to it. And if, if you read certain scriptures, you could have a perspective that would lead you to believe that for the church, for those people that are indwelt by God's spirit, that they're going to be raptured, going to be taken up to be with Jesus before they would have to experience this thing called the tribulation where anything that can be shaken, God will shake. And it will be very hard to live in this world during the tribulation. There's others that read the scriptures and they say that that, that rapture will happen partway through so that the church is going to have to experience some of the tribulation and then they'll be raptured up to be with God, but not the whole thing. And there's others that believe that the church is going to have to experience this entire time of tribulation before they're caught up to be with the Lord. If I listen to somebody that has a pre-tribulation rapture perspective and they share with me their scriptures I say, man, that makes a lot of sense. That's probably what's going to happen. Until I sit down with the guy who believes it's going to be in the middle. Then he shows me his scriptures, and I say, whoa, yours makes sense too. And so does the, the third one. The people, the disagreement that is in the church about what, what is going to actually happen when, it's really not so much about what, but about when it's going to happen, is debatable. Smart people that love the Lord with all their hearts come to different conclusions about certain things. And I'm not sure the relevance to his message last week to, to talk about end times, but see, he comes from IHOP. IHOP is, is led by, I was going to say pastored, that's probably the right word as well, a guy by the name of Mike Bickle. Mike Bickle is one of the most anointed teachers there is. And IHOP is a world-known, world-renowned ministry. So if you're a young guy and you sat under Mike Bickle, next to Jesus, he's like the guy, right? So you're very opinionated, maybe, in, in what Mike Bickle says. But it's possible, just possible, that Mike Bickle, and he'd probably tell you this, when he stands before Jesus, he's going to have maybe just a little bit that he missed, right? As will Bill Johnson, as will you pick him, right? So for things that are not foundational to the gospel, things that are sincerely require interpretation, I think the right heart for the church is a heart of grace. And, and as, as 
Josh matures in his faith and matures in his calling, he'll also mature in humility, and he won't be quite so probably in your face. So I guess my point to you is, if you have Calvinistic views about predestination, that, that there are some that are predestined by God to be with him forever, and others that aren't, that just are going to go to hell, that's a real belief. You can, I, honestly, I don't, I don't necessarily subscribe to that particular belief. I believe that the scripture that says that it's God's will that none would perish and that all would come to repentance trumps those other scriptures. But when I'm reading through the New Testament, I can see easy how people would get that opinion. Okay? So my attitude is let's just disagree and pray that the Holy Spirit will bring us all to the right truth and quit fighting amongst ourselves over things like that. So, so if your feathers got a little ruffled over end times or your feathers got a little ruffled over um, predestination or once saved, always saved. Now, I really believe the Lord has given me revelation on that one. And anybody that wants to talk about that, I would love to open our Bibles and talk about that. Because the other two, honestly, I haven't studied in any level of depth to feel like I could have an opinion. But the can you lose your salvation or can't you lose your salvation conversation, I really do feel that I have um, been given revelation by the Lord on that one. And I would love to share that. Not now, but anytime anybody wants to talk about it. Lots of scriptures I can see in that. Um, I sent out an email earlier in the week and it said, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And literally, somebody that's fairly new in the faith, you know, I mentioned that Josh is a young guy. They thought that I was um, jamming on new believers as the baby. If you don't know what that statement means, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater means that if he rubbed up against your end times theology, don't let that make you not hear anything else that he said. If he rubbed up against your you know, predestination doctrine, don't let that cause you to miss everything else that he said. Okay? We were blessed to have that young man here last week. I had really hoped when I heard him speak, he, as passionate as he is for the Lord, he contrasted his experience with Reinhard Bonnke to himself, and, it, and he was amazed at the lack of passion he had in his life relative to these folks that he got the honor to sit with for a week. I was really hoping that's what he was going to talk about, but he didn't. Um, maybe another time we'll get to hear about that. Um, anyway, are we good with Josh and last week, and we want to pray for him and bless him, and I'm really glad he came, but we just have to be careful. Things that are foundational to the gospel that aren't disputable, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no way to the Father but through him. We don't debate about that. But the things that are not absolutely foundational to, to that, that, are, that truly you know, the church wrestles with, we have to have grace. Okay, that's plenty of that one. <laughs> he quoted Mark, the, the, the um, Great Commission in Mark chapter 16, and he misquoted it a little bit. For, so for those of you that think because of the Great Commission in Mark chapter 16 that you have to go raise dead people, you're off the hook. You can drink deadly poison and it won't harm you. You will pray for the sick and they will get healed. You will speak in other tongues. But in Mark chapter 16, you are not committed to raise dead people. Not that you shouldn't be excited to try, right? But not in Mark chapter 16. Okay. Two things that, that really impacted me personally from his message last week. One, how many people know of IHOP? It, not the pancake place, but 
right? Okay. I mean, that place has been for, I don't know how many years he said, there's been people praying and worshiping God 24 hours a day, 13 years, nonstop. Just like the Moravians over in, I think it's in Germany. A hundred years of nonstop prayer and worship. It's an amazing, amazing place. And he talked about this woman who appeared to be, you know, greatly anointed. You'd have thought she was first in line to go to heaven. Always in the prayer room. And God took her for a period that was 70 or 80 years in the spirit, but, you know, an instant maybe in time to hell. And told this woman that would appear so godly that if she were to die that minute that where she had been was her eternity, not in heaven with him. And he said, it's because you hold bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart. And when he speaks in his scriptures about that if you don't forgive your brothers from your heart, that your Father in heaven won't forgive you, man, I mean, we have to really take that seriously. When we read the Bible, we have to believe it for what it says, okay? That impacted me really hugely because... There's people that are going to be the I never knew you people in heaven with Jesus, and they're not going to have a chance to fix it. Praise God he gave that woman an opportunity to know that she had to get that bitterness out of her heart. The second thing, well, there were lots of things that I was impressed with, but the second thing that really impressed me was I'm horrible at altar calls. I mean, we're a Pentecostal church that almost never does an altar call, in my pre-pastor life, I was the first guy up. I sat always in the front row so nobody get my spot. I always got touched by God at the altar. Always, always. It didn't matter what it was. I would go forward because I knew that I would meet God up there. And I always had stuff that I needed cleaned out of my heart. I can never figure out. I, I'm so, I don't know what the word is, logical. I don't know. I have to understand something before I do it sometimes. And I couldn't figure out this. And he said... Altar calls are so important because when God speaks through a, a message like a sermon, you have to give people the opportunity to process it and, and, and get next to God with what he just said to them. And it's like, wow, that was the answer that I was looking for. Pastor Jim, I, I, he never really taught me how to write a sermon or anything, but the one thing he said is he starts with the altar call and works backwards. And I, I thought, okay, well, I'll try to do that, but I could never figure out how to do that. But now I have an understanding of, of why we would do an altar call all the time because whether you come up here, which is really an excellent way to do it, or you do the altar call in your chair even, you have to process what the Lord is speaking to you about that particular thing in your life. So that was excellent for me. Um, these are just ramblings right now. Remember, I'm only, I'm only trying to get through one beatitude today. We might not make it. Um, you mind if I sit? I've actually not been feeling that good lately. Um, Diane Carter. Probably most of you know about Diane's miracle, but some of you don't. So I'm just going to give you the quick overview. Uh, a lady at our church, Diane Carter, had tumors in her shoulder. And um, her arm couldn't move because the tumors created so much pain. She couldn't even hardly get her clothes on because of the pain in her shoulder. Her forearm, at least, that's the part I could see, was all black because of the tumors in her shoulder. She got prayer, and literally before our eyes, we watched the black. Her, her arm turned normal, all but like a spot, turned normal color. She was able to raise her arm over her head, 
healed. Not that Wednesday. That was on a Sunday morning, right? Like that's the hot chair just right over there where you are. You soak a little of that up. Not that Wednesday, but the following Wednesday was her next doctor's appointment. She was very concerned, as a matter of fact. She had fear because they told her that it could be cancerous. First thing we dealt with was fear. I think that was really important. Anyway, she goes to the doctor. She says, hey, look, God healed me. I don't have tumors. I don't have pain. The black stuff is gone. And doctors, you know, I don't blame them one bit. They're like, yeah, okay, but we don't believe you. I don't understand why your arm goes up like that now, but... They, they, so they took x-rays. They examined her, took x-rays, no tumors, nothing. It's gone. But they're doctors, right? They're like, okay, stupid x-ray didn't work right. We need to do more tests. So they made her come back again this past week. They did an MRI. They took bone marrow out and tested it. And they literally somehow went inside her shoulder and scraped the bone to do a test. No cancer, no cancer, no cancer, no tumor, no tumor, no tumor. Praise God. How about that, huh? I mean, now, we hear about miracles, you know, fairly regularly. If you kind of get excited about that, you're looking for that kind of stuff. But you've got to think about it. Right here, in like one of those chairs, right over there, literally tumors just disappeared right out of her shoulder. They just went away. God, in his sovereign, divine power just took them away, just made them go. We got to contend that there be no sick people in the kingdom. Nobody be sick. We got to contend that nobody's dealing with torment in their minds and, um, you know, the things that cause us to return to bad behaviors, bad behaviors, depression. Jesus paid for it. Okay? Signs and wonders raise our faith. You can't, I mean, I could tell you, hey, listen, I prayed for this guy, my son. First miracle we ever saw. Migraine headache so bad he was going to throw up if he moved, and he went away. But I can't see on an x-ray a migraine headache. I don't see that it's gone. But Diane had tumors in her shoulder that the doctors did an x-ray, did an MRI, scraped her bone, and did bone marrow to prove, literally, that thing is gone, and they don't know how it happened except for God did it. We had the word Wednesday night. It was so cool on Wednesday night. Now, I don't want to say that I don't hear God, because I know I hear God. But I, I hear these people. It's like, yeah, I was talking to the Lord, and I said, Lord, blah, 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 and Lord said, blah, blah, blah. And like they're having a conversation. I pray that someday before heaven that I could have conversational interaction with God versus impressions, just, you know, the slightest of impressions. And I think, oh, is that you, Lord? And, and sometimes I'll go, oh, that wasn't God. And sometimes I'll go, oh, that was God, right? So Wednesday, I was kneeling right down here, and we were worshiping, and we were praying, and, and Isaac was here on the keyboards, and Margie was over here singing, and it was just wonderful. But I kept having this thought, this little thought, this impression that they needed to stop. And I'm trying to argue, is that me? Is that just my imagination? Is it time for us to start praying together so that we can, you know, whatever? But it wouldn't go away. So finally, I was able to get Isaac's attention because Isaac is connected to the Lord. I mean, his eyes are closed and he's singing in the spirit. It's just so wonderful. And I get his attention and I, and I just went like this, like, you know, just stop, just stop, just stop. And so, you know, he kind of wound it down and got silent. Not 10 seconds later, maybe five seconds later, bam, out comes a word in tongues with an interpretation, which nobody would have heard. 
I mean, heck, I was singing in tongues up here. That wasn't a word for the congregation. Nobody needed to hear that. But God had a word that he wanted to release to us, but he needed it to be quiet so we could hear it. So you get this little impression, this little thought, like, why would I ask Isaac to stop? doesn't make sense, except God had something he wanted to do. We get the tongues and the interpretation, and the interpretation is what Gene talked about. <clears throat> Jesus paid for everything. There is nothing lacking in the ability of the church through the power of the Holy Spirit, to do all of the things that God would call us to do. For some of us, all of us probably, to some extent or another, those things aren't happening, not for any lack, but for doing. And the powerful thing that came out is like, you lack nothing. The time is now. The time is now. The time is now. Now, I don't know if there's an ordained time for a miracle, and if you miss that window of time, you miss the miracle. So maybe if Diane didn't get her prayer that day, maybe she'd still have those tumors. I don't know. But we're all getting these unctions. And because we're a little bit afraid or we don't want to be embarrassed and we surely don't want it to be rejected, right? You know, oh, Lord wants me to talk to that person. But uh, like the guy in the porch, right, went up to his porch. I swear, the guy had had a baseball bat or a gun. He'd have whacked us right off his porch. Get off my porch. I'm not so sure that was a God appointment, Right? The fear of that causes us sometimes not to move in the things that God wants us to do. And he's telling us, you have what you need. The time is now. Go. So I want to encourage you to go. If you feel like, man, Diane, oh, more Diane. Last Sunday morning, she, had, she called us during the week. She said, I need to come and ask you some questions. So she came over to the house and we talked. And she said, on Sunday, right around the time when the young man was inviting people to come up to get prayed for, she said, my whole body started to just perspire. And my arm was on, my whole right arm, and especially my right hand was like on fire. It was like it was on fire. And she said, and it's like, I mean, she's so cute. She's not had these experiences before. Honestly, neither have I. But she said, my hand had its own mind. She said, I watched this gentleman come up the aisle to get prayer. And as he walked by me, I knew he was going to get his back prayed for. And it's like my hand wanted to go get him and put on there and pray for him. Well, Teresa happened to be standing next to Josh. The guy that came up asked for prayer for his back. She had a word of knowledge from the Lord. She was having a manifestation. Um, I've heard people like Bill Johnson when he's ministering words of knowledge or, or God wants to move in healing or Randy Clark. They have these... Like one of them's hand gets hot, one of them gets this like tingly thing in the back of their head. And they've noticed it's happened enough times when the anointing became present that that's how the Lord stirs them to know. She said that she had this overwhelming need to go and hug every person in this church. Every one of us. Get up, just to hug us. But she's had some experiences in other churches that she's gone to where um, she was rejected for certain things. Not stuff like that. Nothing that she did wrong. And she, she had this fear come on her that if she were to try to go hug people or you know, let the crazy hand go touch where it wants, that we would have you know, disciplined her and made her go. So she got in her car and she left because she was afraid that if she couldn't control herself that something would happen to her. And she left. On her way home... You might have remembered this story in the Bible. On her way home, she's driving her, her van, and this great bright light shows up in front of her, so bright that she can't drive. She has to drive her van off onto the shoulder and park. And she's looking up into this light, wondering what's going on, 
And God manifested himself for her. She literally saw the Lord in that light, heard his voice, and he spoke these loving, encouraging words to her to, to just bless her. And as that waned, she could, I, I mean, I don't know all the details. I might be painting in some places where there were no colors, but she started driving some more to go home. And the light came back. God wasn't done, and she couldn't drive her van anymore. So she had to pull over on the shoulder so she wouldn't get in an accident. And God manifested himself in the light again for her. I don't know what all that means, but I know that the Lord is moving. I know that he loves us. I know that when we say, come and fill this place, he'll do it. He will. And I don't know the issues of Diane's heart that he, she needed to hear, right? Even Jesus, before he went into the wilderness, needed his father's blessing. This is my son, and in him I am well pleased. On the Mount of Transfiguration, this is my son, whom I love with in him I am well pleased. Listen to him. He encouraged Jesus. He will encourage all of us. He's moving. He's moving. Okay, there wasn't supposed to be such a hard stop on that one. Um, the message in tongues, the band quiet, the time is now. I've learned, it's interesting, right? I mean, I'm not looking for you to feel sorry for me, but going from sales manager, understood my job, did it well, got, you know, no problem, understood how I was measured, to pastor has been a really interesting transition for me. And for those of you who don't know, it's only been three and a half years, right? We've only been a church for three and a half years. I was a sales manager for a Fortune probably seven company. I, I understood that whole deal. I thought I would understand this and didn't. I mean, I'm telling you, it was just, whoa. God had to bust me down to where I could realize that if Jesus doesn't hold me up, I can't do anything. And I hope I'm at the place where I know that 100%, but I know that I've learned it really good. So in this process of, of trying to understand how to do this new job that I have, um, I've noticed that I'll preach a message sometime, and then people will come and say, did you listen to so-and-so's podcast this week? No, why? He said the same thing. A little better than you, but he's, you know, same thing. <laughs> And that's happened a number of times. Well, a few weeks ago, when I was praying, I had this impression. Again, I, you know, I wish God would just talk to me in a, in a human voice. It'd make it so easy for me. But then I wouldn't need any faith, right? About us taking and defining his love and his grace in such a way that colors all the scriptures, right? It's interesting, like, um, I talked about Calvinism a little bit ago. By the way, we're not going to get to the Beatitude today. Um, <laughs> it's Isaac's fault. All that worship, all that worship, all those announcements. Anyway, I have some commentaries that I, that I use when I study. And you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? If, if you were to um, read John Calvin, I think it's Calvin's name, John, right? Calvin? John Calvin, if you were to read his works, there's tremendous truth in there. And there's probably some stuff that maybe isn't so true. But you wouldn't throw out everything because you might disagree with some, right? So one of my commentaries obviously comes from a once saved, always saved perspective, that you can't lose your salvation. So every scripture that you see that, that deals with that topic, like if the scripture said, be careful not to lose your salvation, they would interpret it in a way that that's not what it really means. Because 
everything has to fit the paradigm. Otherwise, the paradigm comes down. It's, I think the thing is called like the law or the rule of first primacy or primacy. Like whatever you were taught first, like if you went to the Calvinist Bible college, whatever got in your head first is the hardest thing to get out. Whatever you believe first. That's why for us it's so important that we always were students of God's word because teachers can be fallible. They can be taught something wrong, believe that it's right, and then propagate error. Not because they're evil, just because they're wrong, right? So why am I telling you all this? I don't remember, but I will in a second. Oh, yes. <laughs> So anyway, God stirs me about this thought about that the world, for sure, right? Go meet, just go to the grocery store, some guy pumping gas next to you at the gas station, and say, hey, if you were to die right now, I promise I'm not going to try to get you saved, but if you were to die right now, would you go to heaven or hell? And most people will tell you heaven. And if you were then to ask them the next question, why, they'd give you some kind of thing that most likely has nothing to do with what you would find in Scripture, Right? Well, God loves me, and a loving God would never send me to burn in hell because I'm an okay guy. That's what God was trying to tell me is like, listen, I love you. I'm never going to stop loving you. You could be eternally in hell, and my love for that person that I created will never stop. But that's not what I use the words gains you relationship with God the Father through God the Son. The relationship, the opportunity for eternity with him is defined differently than just because he loves you. Okay. I'm listening to Bill Johnson. I don't know if you don't know who Bill Johnson is. He's a great teacher. Um, his church has birthed this revival in California that's really all over the world now. So I love, I, I mean, I love listening to Bill Johnson teach. Two sermons in a row, he says basically the same thing. I'm like, wow, Bill Johnson got my podcast for once. No, we both have the Holy Spirit's podcast. I'm a, I want you to listen. I'm going to play for you a couple of minute clip from a message that I spoke a few weeks ago on repentance and either the same week or one week plus or minus the very next thing you hear is Bill Johnson now he's preaching out of um, the scripture he'll say verse 5 it's Jude verse 5 now Jude only has one chapter so you, you know it's just verse 5 of Jude so can you play that for me just a minute it's this sloppy grace it's this love of Jesus and grace of God, the love of the Lord is so powerful that it overwhelms everything else and it defines my relationship with God. So if you go out and you talk to somebody and, and you share with them the gospel and the words that Jesus teaches about to be a disciple, a follower of him, and, the, and how strict they are and how, how there's no fuzziness in them. And they say, oh, no, no, that's not God. I don't believe God would be like that. God loves me. Don't you understand? God loves me. And God's grace is amazing. And, and he's so graceful for anything that I want to do. But that's not what I see. As a matter of fact, I would, I would love for somebody to come and show me that, that God's love is all it takes to have relationship with him. Because it's not a fun message to preach, but I think it's a true message to preach. So what they think is, God loves me. His love is unconditional. I have some mental understanding of what I think love is. Therefore, I'm with God. I'll spend eternity with him. It's bad people that go to hell. It's good people that go to heaven. And that's my perception. But see, God's love is unconditional, right? He says that his, his son, S-U-N, son, and rain fall on the wicked as well as the just. And both of those, sunlight 
and rain, if you're an agricultural kind of a society, are good things to have. Your crops don't grow without sunlight and without rain. And he says that 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 blessing falls on everybody. God's love is no greater for you after you got saved than it was before you got saved. But his love does not define the parameters of relationship with his son and, and with him through his son. That's different. Relationship with him comes through what he says, and that's confessing Jesus as Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead and that he is the full payment for everything that would have separated you from God. His love is unconditional. It's there whether you belong to him or whether you belong to the world. Remember, there's no middle place called I'm sure. There's only two kingdoms, darkness and light. Whichever one you're in, he loves you, but his love for you does not define how he's willing to have relationship with you. Verse 5, I want to remind you, though, you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. After having saved people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality, have gone after strange flesh, set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Here's the deal. This is what I've seen happen that, that has deeply concerned me, is people will study sub, uh, great subjects of Scripture, like grace, the love of God, these very subjects. And what happens is people will come up to it with a definition of God's love. And then they allow their definition of love to redefine what the Bible says, which is absolute violation of Scripture. The Bible is supposed to define love not us work up our own feel-good definition and then have it redefine what the Scripture says. The whole point of this warning is there is judgment for decisions that are rebellious decisions against Christ and that we cannot distort the gospel to fit a lifestyle that makes us feel good. So let's just stop with that. We'll just pretend like... Today was like a family meeting, right? We just sat around the big kitchen table and we just talked about stuff within the family. But when I hear that kind of warning, right? I mean, he was stronger even than me. My concern is the same concern. It's that that we take a certain part of the Bible and use it to become our paradigm that defines all the rest of the Bible, right? And Bill Johnson says, and there's this judgment that's coming. And there are people that are going to be judged because they created in their mind a definition of love that allowed the gospel to be different than the gospel is. But the gospel won't be different than the gospel is when it comes time to stand before the Lord and be judged. So God loves you. I promise you, he loves you. He loves you on your worst day. He loves you if you're disobedient. He loves you if you're obedient. But his word says that there are I don't need to re-preach that sermon. It's important that when you read the scriptures, it's important that when you listen to the teachers, it's important that you 
recognize that you have a lens. And the worst lens that you have is called flesh. The lens of flesh wants, you to get, wants that Bible to mean something different for you than it means for God. My lens of flesh says that I could not love my wife as Jesus loved the church. Or that I could keep some kind of sinful habit in my lifestyle without repentance and still be in good graces, in righteousness, right? Today's beatitude was, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That somehow I could find righteousness outside of the truth because I take some other piece of truth and stretch it as an umbrella over the whole darn thing and try to get it to change all the truth for some of the truth. Do you understand? Did it make sense? You heard enough? Okay. All right, then let's just pray real quick. Hey, can I just tell you thank you? Man, I'm sorry. Everybody, heads back up. Ready? Pray. Oh, just kidding. Heads up. I, I'm so grateful for all of you. I am so grateful for all of you. I don't know your day in and your day out. I don't know what your prayer lies, but somebody is praying good prayers because we're seeing good results. We're seeing lives that are being transformed. We're seeing people that are becoming more like Jesus. We're seeing tumors go off of people's shoulder. We're seeing God offer to us grace for repentance and people actually repenting. That's what the kingdom looks like. When Jesus cast the devil out of the person, he said, if I cast out the devil by the finger of God, then you should know that the kingdom of heaven has come upon you today. The kingdom of heaven manifested right there, just full-on kingdom right there. I'm just grateful. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming. Thank you for praying. Thank you for worshiping. Thank you for contending. That's another word that the Lord's been speaking, contending. We're to contend for the faith. Okay, let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you for these people. Thank you for your church, the broad your church, Lord. I pray that your church will come to complete and total repentance. I pray that your church will desire to be holy as you are holy, to walk in holiness, to walk in truth, to walk in power that your church will be salt and light in this world, Lord, that we would hunger and thirst, we would be zealous for the things of you and your kingdom, passionate, hungry, thirsty, focused, not distracted. And in that hunger and in that thirst will come a satisfaction that is the kingdom of heaven is upon you now. I ask your blessing over each and every one of us, Lord. I ask opportunities to glorify you, to make you known, to demonstrate your power. And I ask for increase in discernment that we would know at your voice, an increase in obedience, and that flesh would continue to be nailed to your cross. Amen. And I pray to you in Jesus' mighty name, amen. amen. Woo. Well, you guys have a great week. Sorry about no sermon today, um, but now I'm loaded up. <laughs> God bless you.